Hi, this is Mike Ross, public address announcer for your Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is the Leafs Late Night Podcast, your post-game destination. And now, your starting lineup, Roscoe, the Fanalist, Southey, Beaner, and Darty Brodeur on the Leafs Late Night Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back to Leafs Late Night. It is our post-Christmas show. We are back from the holiday break. The Leafs have won in overtime, which is a nice nice little uh, Christmas present for all of Leafs Nation. Welcome back to Leafs Late Night presented by Inside the Room, where it is never too late for the Leafs. I am joined by Beaner and Chris tonight. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Not a problem. Glad to be back. Not a problem. So, um, how were your holidays? What's this? Uh, I will go first, I guess. Uh, they were fantastic. They were not so hectic. And, uh, you know, we started going into the into the break with a win over Philly. And then we finished with a little little bit more of a sloppy win. But uh, I'll take a little bookend to, to the Christmas. Yeah, it definitely felt like an after break game. <laughs> definitely did. Um yeah, no, Christmas was good. It's always good with the little one kicking around. So he had a blast, and we spent a lot of time playing one of his one of his gifts. He got Luigi's Mansion Three for his Switch. So sick. That uh, brought back some memories from when I got the original Luigi's Mansion when I was younger. So that was a lot of fun. That's fun. One of my friends actually just got Luigi's Mansion for GameCube for this Christmas because he asked for it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But no, mine was good too. Um, went up to Owen Sound for the first half of Christmas and down in Coburg here for the, the second half. And then I'll get back up to Ottawa in the next couple of days here and back to my diamond. If anybody was here last Christmas, you will recognize my, my dad's leaf bar behind me. I've got some random memorabilia on the walls and things. Um, but yeah, still away from home for this one. Last episode, away from home base. I'm going to give a shout out to Steph for doing the last one alone. I appreciate that a lot. It's never easy. I can only usually get 20, 25 minutes alone before I call it quits. Uh, she managed to pump out a whole 40 plus minute show. Good honor. I, I really got to give her a little round for that one. I would give her an actual round of applause with my soundboard, but it's not working right now. So uh, maybe I'll add it in post. Probably won't. <laughs> Thanks, Steph. So the game, the game which the Leafs had. Uh, not one, not two, not three, before leads, <laughs> before overtime. So, like I said, this was a very after-the-break game. Seemed like uh, some things were going their way, but then it would kind of fall apart a little bit. Seemed like there were some lapses. People were a bit out of practice. Uh, some passes weren't going their way, skipping over sticks, those kinds of things. But I think all in all, everybody played well, I mean, it's not like St. Louis is a bad team. They're just an underperforming team, which is always hard to predict how they're going to do, right? The Leafs are pretty predictable against high-caliber teams and low-caliber teams. It's these mid-range ones that are always a toss-up. Well, and like we've talked about a couple times this season, it's it's games like these where historically, as Leaf fans, we kind of expect the worst. You know, every built-in built-in excuse that you could have, oh, coming off a break, they were doing good before the break, everybody had holidays, and and they, they're even touching on it on the broadcast, which to get an American or a Canadian broadcast to actually compliment the Leafs is just astounding. Um, wow. So when they're actually pointing it out, it just show, goes to show you how true it is and how 
different it is from what you see with the Leafs. Like they're not playing their best, but they they can still pull it out. They're they've played with such good defensive structure this year that even if they have 10, 15 minutes of a period that are kind of meh, it it doesn't destroy them with three, four goals against in one period like it potentially has in the past. Yeah, they've been uh, they've been pretty good at maintaining pressure and keeping the the shots to lower danger chances for the opposition when they play these kinds of games. But the thing that I noticed they were slipping a bit tonight on their own end was just being able to recover the puck when St. Louis started moving things around. There was a lot of trouble regaining that control and getting it out of their zone. Uh, maybe starting to miss Riley a little bit there and some of the other injuries on, on defense. Like we talked about, these guys could only play at 110% for so long. It seems like that's kind of starting to wear off that the minutes are starting to get at guys like uh, like Hall and Lilligren who aren't used to playing, you know, 23 minutes a night, right? Yeah. Yeah, you could you could definitely see it like on some breakout passes. Um, it's really, they were able to get it up and it just, it, whether it was six inches in front of a guy or six inches behind a guy, it just didn't feel like it was there. Um, I don't know how you guys felt. I don't really think Jordy Ben is a night-to-night kind of option um, on this back end. So missing Sandine, like that's where this defense was really rolling was when Sandine was in the lineup. Um, obviously, when we get Riley back, that would probably push, um, uh, sorry, Jordy Ben out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's where he, he just, he doesn't look like a regular day-to-day kind of player. Um, yeah. And yeah, you could see it on, on the breakouts, and that's where you could probably attribute it to to being maybe a little rusty coming out of the break. You know, how many people flew wherever they did and then trying to get back with, you know, in Ontario here, we had a storm that, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, wasn't really fun. So I'm not sure what chaos uh, some of the players got into, but it was a, it was a little sh- shots where I think were 11 to 5. Uh, after the first, so you you could definitely tell they came out a little flat-footed, a little sloppy. Um, definitely picked it up. Um, I think when entering in the second, it was like seventeen ten, was in the second. So, um, yeah, the, the the breakouts and and kind of they kind of seem to get hemmed up a little bit for sure. Yeah, and just to bring back to the first thing you mentioned there, Jordy Ben has been the absence of so many players this year but you're right like the the night in night out option is just it's not what he's brought in for it's the fact that we've got so many injuries in, on defense still like we just saw today um i mean obviously robertson unless you ask steve dangle is not a defenseman um but robertson and mete were both put on ltir today and um that was an old joke by the way if anyone got that one um and then we saw Sandine and Riley are now day-to-day. So it looks like they could be back as early as Thursday. I'm not sure if they'll play Thursday or Saturday, but it's looking like those guys will be back. So that's a, a nice um, change of pace on the back end. So we'll probably see Ben and who do you think else come out of there? I I, I would honestly have to say it's probably going to be Timmons, as much as I hate to say that, because I have really... <sighs> And, and I've, I've said this every episode I've been on since we got him. I've loved what he's brought to the team. He's played so well. But unless you're going to try, like, you know, we kind of briefly touched on it a couple episodes ago, maybe get into some sort of load managing. Like, hey, Geo, we know you don't need it, but you've been playing like you're 20 and, you know, you're almost 40. 
So let's, you know, let's cut back your minutes a bit. Take a, take a game off. And Not a bad idea. Or they, like, do you do a Tampa? Go 11-7 and seven for a couple of games. We know Tavares and Matthews and Marner love eating big minutes. Cut back yeah. on a forward spot, throw an extra D-man in just well, to kind of ease Riley back into it or ease Sandman back into it, right? It's it's funny you say that because I was just um, I do have the on ice time and you do see someone like Joey Anderson who for seven minutes of of the game um, not really much of an impact there because uh, he doesn't really play any power play or PK um, except for like you know comparative to some of the lower guys like um, Zach Aston Reese or Kerfoot who are playing those penalty kill minutes is yeah maybe you slide out someone like that and just roll an extra winger on that fourth line just to get that extra cycle your top four through on that bottom four uh like we've seen them do in the past when they have done 11 and 7 and yeah bring them bring them in slowly um if they go to six you definitely have to see probably you know just thinking a right side of uh of brody hall and then lilligren and then your left being sandine riley and Giordano and then if they do rotate Timmons in you just probably would slide Brody over back to the left and then have Timmons play his his right side yeah and I mean Joey Anderson played under eight minutes tonight I noticed him a couple times but really like for that eight minutes do you is it worth it like I think that's the guy you pull out to put the minute right yeah yeah I think that's a good point and it's not really a big thing in hockey but the potential idea for a load managing thing might actually not be a bad idea because you often do run into injuries come playoff time. You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was super nervous on that break, like the breakaway chance for Brody when he got hauled down. That looked oh, like a knee injury to me. With the way he went down, that was really awkward. And the guy's just coming back from, I know it was an oblique injury, but, you know, an injury is an injury. Do we just let some of these guys sit, rotate through? I know they're not they're not geared for that, they're not wired for that. But we've seen so far this year that this team, you know, they're they're thinking differently. They're thinking the way you would want them to think. Matthews, you know, being quoted in, in one of the articles, I can't remember which magazine or which network it was, but he doesn't really care about individual stuff. Like he just wants to win. And you, you can say what you want. That's pretty much been a quote-unquote given forever. But to come right out and, and, you know, flat out say it, like maybe you could get some of these guys on board, like Brody or Geo. Maybe not Riley because he's been out so long. He's going to want to get his legs back under him. But just rotate everybody through. And Lily and Sandman have shown with how well they've played during during this whole stretch that they deserve regular spots again. And I mean, you want to, you want, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just going to add to that when you see where Dubas has tried to learn so much from like Masai, um, in his tenures, what they did with Kawhi Leonard, um, when it comes to the Raptors. So just maybe taking that principle and applying it to some guys, some of these, the older crew on the team, um, or the defenseman where, you know, you have those ability to kind of rotate through. The only thing I worry about is, you know, are they, are they trying to build so much cap? space for a trade deadline acquisition right if you're keeping those guys whether you're rotating them you're going to be still holding them on your roster carrying that that extra cap and you know could that potentially you know change who you're going after what 
what you're giving up for in trade as a retained salary as of right now they've still got their projected deadline cap space is still 7.885 so okay you're you're pretty much looking at muzzin right uh, i guess muzzin and, and a little bit mm-hmm I think the blessing of disguise here from all these injuries on defense is you've gotten to showcase more guys and, and see what you have to be able to rotate through all of these these players, right? Like we never would have had Connor Timmons in the first place had these injuries not happened. And who no. was it like Max uh, Hollowell that was back there? Or am I seeing out of defense? Hollowell I'm, yeah. came up for a couple games. Philip yeah, Hollowell played a game. Hall. There's so many guys that we've been able to slot in there, and like even having Mete and and like Ben was down for a while. I think what this gives you is. Is like what both of you are saying is it gives the, the chance for load management because you can you you know you have more serviceable guys to put in on any night even if it's against you know a lower tier team for one night give the guys off um, and then the other thing is come trade deadline you've got more pieces that teams are interested in that you might not have seen as valuable chips to trade right like somebody might be now interested in taking Philip Crawl off of the Leafs hands or something for uh, a couple years down the road now that they've seen what he can do. Not necessarily. Yeah, I think him, one. Yeah. yeah, I think one thing with that is like, yeah, you. I think us as fans, like, we've probably been like, oh, what about this guy on the Marlies or so and so. So it's been nice to actually see some of the the players, like, and I think even just to see Sandine and Lilligren take that extra step and just go, you know what, that gives me some some better faith come next year. You know, that being your probably your stud at two, and then eventually evolving into like your one. Riley drops back to your, uh, you know, maybe a second line with somebody else. Timmins looks good, kind of makes you feel comfortable if Hall walks in the offseason because you'll probably get Timmins for two years under a mill yeah. uh, for a short time in, in the NHL. So you're already kind of seeing that kind of come to fruition there. So it's it's nice to see that, hey, we have these options versus in the past where it's like, you know, what do we have? And I think luckily we've had healthy, healthy D pairs, but it just gives us a little more sigh of relief that stuff happens and change, changes your... Um, mindset going in a trade deadline too do we have that depth do we need to sign for a ben hutton you know not to mention like unless you're anthony like anthony stewart thinks you need 74 defensemen to head into the playoffs but um um, and rupe hints apparently (laughs) yeah sorry and vesna jack campbell but like i'm glad (laughs) i'm glad that elliot was like what are you talking rupe hints isn't going anywhere like Dallas is a top tier team. Why would they trade one of their best scorers? Like, what are you talking about? Teams are going to go after him. Like, that is the most brain dead, like, commentator trade deadline comment I've heard in a long time. Like, wow. Yeah, yeah. If if you can pick up Mitch Marner, um, right? No. <laughs> um, Kucherov would be like, great. We've yeah, seen. Go with Jack Hughes. Yeah. We, we've seen. Oh, that'd be a brilliant pickup. We've seen it. Um, Time and time again with teams, especially like Tampa and like Carolina, you know, some of the teams that loosely it looks like Dubas is trying to kind of build a team after. Come playoff time, regular season, whenever it is, every single time they have an injury, a suspension, you name it, whatever, You're someone there. steps up. And even sometimes I myself, and I'm a, a ridiculous nerd with some of these players, I'll be like, watching a game and who the hell is that guy and they'll step in and they don't look like a beer leaguer from your local team they look like someone who has been on the team and played the last hundred games with them because they've been included with everything they've been 
you know, called up and given a chance when someone may, probably could have played, but they're taking an extra day off. Like they're building this, this culture and this family with this team. And these guys are hundred percent comfortable walking in and playing. doesn't matter what the scenario is or who's around them. You, we saw half the defense core out and, and Mac Hollowell played great considering the pressure cooker he was in playing in Toronto with that shattered defense core at that time with all the injuries, right? Like And Shalgren and Net for half of those games. Yeah, it's it's really nice to see that we're starting to build that pool that come playoff time, if if Muzzin, you know, when Muzzin goes down last couple of years, or this year, if Brody gets hurt, if Riley gets hurt, we We're not going like Marty Marinchin. Um yeah, like we can call up someone. We can call yeah, in a, a, a Jordan exactly. Ben or a Victor Mete or a Connor Timmins. And as fans, we're not going to give ourselves a stroke worrying about every time they're on the ice. Because honestly, the last few years, because of they've been and the, the lack of depth, and you know, we've heard of the names of these guys, but they were never ready to come up. Uh, someone goes down and you're like, oh shit, like who is our seventh defenseman? Like, I don't even know who that person would be. And for like three or four years, it was Martin Marincin and we were like, now at least we have a couple names we can go to. Maisie, I said you could be down here, but you have to be nice. I oh. pretty much guarantee you Marincin and Hutchinson shared a condo in Toronto because they were just coming <laughs> back every offseason, right? I think um, I think also, too, the best the best thing about the depth and, and with just the most recent trade is, is just having now right-handed, a right-shot, right-handed depth in Connor Timmons. Realistically, if a left goes out, Brody slides over and Timmons slides in. Or if someone um, uh, on the right goes out, you just slide him right in. And that's one thing I think from a defensive aspect they've been lacking. And it's, it's just that that depth on the right side. None of these guys who play their off wing, that Brody plays it top notch. There's guys who can half do it, but it's awkward for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having that is just, it's such a fresh of breath air that knowing that hey we've we've got you know that kind of depth on D locked up. Yeah, hundred percent. Um so are we gonna try to trade for Callie Rosen for the third time now or what? <laughs> Who took that leaf bet? Man, like it's just without fail. It doesn't matter if they were on the Marlies for their entire career. He played what, like I think it was eight games in two years, four games and four games in his first run with the Leafs. And then he went to Colorado, and then he came back, and he played another four games. He has only played, like, 12 total games for the Leafs. I think he's got more this season for St. Louis, and of course he scores. Like, <laughs> this I, is unbelievable. I was, I was who, who even playing. thought Callie Rosen was still going to be in the NHL? I, I didn't. Like, when he was coming up as a prospect, he had potential but you know I didn't think it was going to be anything crazy and he's not showing that he's an all-star defenseman or anything but good on him for battling and staying in it I almost put a couple dollars down on on Levo because he's the you know like Josh Levo yeah like when we had um Jimmy VC uh, scored too that's the name yep yep like when we win against VC it's like okay he's definitely going to score or against Arizona earlier this year, 100% Nick Ritchie was going to score. There was this no way he was nutty, wasn't. man. How is it every single time? Like, there's a lot of guys on other teams, and there are very few ex-Leafs. There's like one or two on every team, and they're always the one that scores. Also, I know he's not an ex-Leaf, but Eric Branson, or Gu- Eric Gustafson on um, 
Washington, since his hat trick against the Leafs for his first three goals of the season, is up to like nine points in six games since that game. He has he's on like a, a nine or six game point streak or something. It's insane. This guy's like it launched his entire season. Unbelievable. Was, uh, I think it was because um, they did bring it up on the SDP. I think like like a few years ago, he was like fifth in league scoring among defensemen. Like. Yeah, and then he and then he just completely petered off, and then so it, the talent is there, it's somewhere there, but uh, um, yeah, just always the Leafs, right? Yeah. Always the Leafs. But to bring it back to the Leafs, our guy whose talent is there and sometimes can put it together opens the scoring tonight. Justin Hall, everybody, let's go. Somebody who we just want so much more from, and every time he does it, it's like good. Keep keep doing that though. <laughs> But like, how how much of a friggin' schmuck does this make me look like? Because I ripped on him so hard for so long. And yeah, me too. Even even to start the season, he was playing like crap. Yep. And then half the defense core goes down, and holy crap! I'm you know next to Giordano, I'm I'm the the guy here who's played the most games in the NHL. And all of a sudden, tonight, something, baby. something clicked. And he's actually a serviceable top four defenseman right now. I personally am like, I, I've always been back on Hall. I think he does a lot of little things right that just kind of go, that would go unnoticed and then he would make the blunder, mm-hmm. right? And you wouldn't really see it. Um, but I think it's just, I think getting away from Muzzin, I think that that ran its course. Um, yeah. Muzzin doesn't have the legs anymore. You'd see Muzzin pinch, and then problem is, is if if you have someone pinch, Hall has no idea how to cover a two on one. Like that's his weakness. So if if you put anyone with him, you basically need to say you can't pinch on this side. Um, I think also too the help in some team defense getting back to probably help mitigate those two on ones has definitely made him look a lot better. Um, but that's also what made him good in the AHL too, and what earned him the NHL contract in the first place is some of that offensive play. Um, I just want to bring, sorry, I, I just want to go back to one point about Callie Rosen. Callie Rosen scored his third goal, which would actually lead Leafs defenseman. Uh, <laughs> our highest Leaf defenseman has, has two goals, which is Rasmus Sandin, uh, tied with also uh, Timothy Lilligren. You've got to be um, shitting me. Callie Rosen has I more goals not. than every Leaf defenseman. Yeah, we. I think it. I think it said on the broadcast we're like thirty first among the league for defenseman goals, with nine. Well, to be fair, <laughs> Riley's been out. He's the only one who scores. The rest of them are there to throw bodies around and take slap shots from the point. Maybe, like I mean, come on. We saw TJ Brody take a penalty shot. That wasn't going in. <laughs> Riley also doesn't have a goal in the season either. So. I still will not forget that Pittsburgh goal he like from last year. like 15 points on the team still? Uh, he, he, yeah, he's got like 16 points. He has 16 assists, but it's just just interesting. I just noticed that while we that were is going up. Unreal. Thank you for that. That's a perfect stat. Um, okay, we've talked about first, we got Justin Hall, Kelly Rosen. Oh, and then uh, JT from Yarncroke and Marner. Oh, this was a beauty. Like, JT and Marner have... Like, I know we, we split everybody, we rearranged the lines. This has been working so well. I don't know how they get to the end of the season and break this up at any point. Like, this combo of these two guys 
cannot be split up. Like, if this is what's going to work, ride this until, you know, literally Matthews and Nylander cannot score for the life of them. Well, and not only that, and I'm not trying to rip on Matthews at all here, but when they had Marner with Taveras before, it worked, you know, everybody saw it. I don't know if Matthews was quite ready to completely lead a line. Like, even if you took Nylander off that line and you had Matthews with Bunting and Kyle Clifford, like, he could still lead that line and be dangerous every shift out there because of the evolution of him, like, how far he has come as a player. Yeah. So it, it's just allowed them to do more of that, to staple Marner to Tavares' wing. That way, yeah. if, if, Tavares is, if Tavares isn't feeling it, Marner can, is right there, can drive that line. If he is great, they're going to be unreal. And then Matthews can still go do his thing with whoever you want to put on his wing. Like, that stop-up from Marner to, to break away from the defender, that's, like, that's an ankle-breaker. Yeah. I think what you get from the Marner-Tavares combo is Tavares is a smart positional player. He always knows exactly where to be, and Marner can find him with the pass wherever he is. What you get with Matthews and Nylander is speed and unpredictability from them. Like the other team has no idea what these two are going to do, which one's going to shoot or where they're going to shoot it from. They're both the takeaways from those two. Like Nylander, I mean, we'll get to it. The steal there on Tarasenko in overtime was what gave him the game, right? Like the, the checking that those two guys are able to do to steal the puck away has been fantastic. So I think you get a, a really good, which is not what I expected of Nylander coming into the season to have like a real 200 foot game, but him and Matthews have turned into the, full ice shutdown line and Tavares and Marner are the get it going around the net, get buzzing and find the front of the net. It's, it's insane. They, they just really worked it out. Finally. Yeah. It's been, it's been nice to see that. Um, Cause yeah, they did want to play together. Marner and Matthews really want to see what they could do. And, and we've seen it, but yeah, to, to go back to what worked from day one, when Tavares showed up and you're, you're essentially putting, you know, a, a passer with a shooter, but also someone who can be net front, who can stir it up um, and get down low, uh, who can, like you said, just know where to be at all times, know where to get into those right places. Um, that's where I just think they're just missing that one extra piece. Um, some people think it's a top-end talent winger. I personally feel, you, can you just clone bunting? Does MLSE have enough money just clone bunting and put him on that line as well. Didn't we just get Dryden Hunt? Isn't that kind of what Dryden Hunt is? Honestly, I, I thought I thought the 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 comparison was more Zach Aston Reese, not not so much Dryden Hunt. But if Callie Yarncroft can keep doing what he's been doing and and really kind of get find a groove, uh, three points tonight and help help be that kind of checker, get the puck out and get it back to those guys, and then just get into a position to clean up some garbage uh, in front because uh, those two guys will draw in a lot of focus and attention. That's where I think you see bunting uh, on the first line is Matthews and Nylander like their unpredictability. You're drawing in defenders and forwards where bunting can kind of just slip into, you know, different areas of the high slot and something. And then he just has the shot to finish it. I think we saw Cali shot in preseason um, when he played on a line with Matthews. Matthews was able to draw in guys and, Kelly would just stand high slot and just and just rip it. Oh, I remember that. I actually, think yeah. that's where. Yeah, if we could see something like that, and Kelly could kind of get it going, and 
and that that's what that's what I look forward and I think Kali could almost kind of do it um and that and that's that's what I like to see but keeping those two guys together man it's Mitch Marner it, last season seemed to be the year of Matthews this seems to almost be the year of of Marner with yeah. the potent shrink he was on and just he's he's starting to I think they're all just starting to hit that maturity that stride going back to Matthew's comments where we're here to win. We're not here to, I don't care if I score 60 goals or 40 goals. I just want us to win. And, and that's the mentality that, that we need. And that I think champions have is that they don't care about individual stats. Sure. They're, they're nice, but that's not their focus. Their focus yeah. is to win at the end of the day. Marner seems a lot more calm and able to shut out the noise this year. Like there was, he's always had all the media attention around him and it's, they've always asked him about things. You know, Marner this, and is he going to get that? Or, you know, talk about that. Like, I think this year has really been good for him to just block it all out. There hasn't been a ton of chatter around him because he's been playing so well. But really, there, there hasn't been the same kind of talk since the first month, literally trade Marner season, um, <laughs> like seven games in. But I think since then, he's really just been able to, like we say with Willie, just play his game and, and come cool collective. Uh, the thing that's really worked out in the Leafs favor is I think this third line coming together with Kerfoot, Kampf and um, Engvall because it answers the question of what the hell are we doing with, with Alex Kerfoot because it wasn't working on the second line. I think this is working and now you have a solid third line so you don't have to keep testing out people. You know, Yarn Croak doesn't have to do much down there anymore and it kind of frees him up to move up to that second line, I think. So I think that just the fact that they found a place for Kerfoot I'm not saying that line's perfect, but they did really well tonight. Like, Kerfoot was fantastic. Ball had, probably should have scored tonight, but, you know, <laughs> thankful. Well, not only that, but you have the evolution of Holmberg. Oh, and, man, and yeah. hit his game. Like, yet again, he's not perfect, but he's been playing really, really well. And he, he he's the, the, the pro, right? Like, he's not coming in like a kid with only a handful of games of NHL experience and hell he's only got 15 games of AHL experience. Like he's, he's not coming in as someone who's showing that experience. He's coming in looking like a player who has been toiling in the minors for five to 10 years or who's been bouncing around as a journeyman in the NHL, right? He's not going to do a whole ton. That's super, super flashy, but he's not going to be on the highlight reel the other way either of being walked every shift he's out there. He's going to consistently go out, do what he has to do, win face-offs, battle hard, and drive the play to the opposition's net. doesn't matter where he starts, if defensive zone face-off, neutral zone, whatever. He's going to do the little things that you need your third and fourth lines to do to allow your big boys to do what you're paying them to do, right? Well, and this was their period, right? Like the second they opened up with the um, the shorthanded goal from Gerfoot. Him and Yarncroft were fantastic. Like whether it was shorthanded or the one... Um, oh, I guess it was Holmberg that was on their line, right? Or did they in the middle? Because I feel like it was Kerfoot with Kampf and Engvall, but it was also Holmberg with them. I don't really know. It, it was hard to track that one. But yeah, Yarncroak scored again in that period, or the, the second one in that period from uh, Holmberg and Engvall. So yeah, for those lines. But I think the, the bottom six is starting to work out a little better now, especially because David Kampf has just been so rock solid at center. and just a penalty kill king, man. It's it's insane. But little stint he had in OT where they weren't able to get off for like the first minute and a half there. And he just carried it like completely out of gas 
with three blues on him. All of them are on him. He's like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hold this. So you guys can change. Like, I got this. Don't worry. <laughs> Take your ten seconds. Like, it's just unbelievable what Camp is able to do for somebody that's on no one's radar. Yeah, I've I've already heard that there's a four and a half to five million dollar offer from Edmonton for him for the summer. <laughs> <laughs> With him, him, Justin Hall, uh, Kerfoot. Uh... <laughs> I can't wait. To see Tyson Berry, Darnell Nurse, Cody Stacey, Justin Hall. <laughs> I, I, and then I think Anthony Stewart is just going to come in strong with uh, Campbell for Vesna, Hall for Norris, and uh, David Comp for, uh, we'll just, you know what, Selkie. we'll say the Richard anyways. Yeah, yeah. Selkie, Richard, just them all. He's just going to outpace McDavid uh, for everything. No, but yeah, that that third line. Um, it's funny. I think last year it was, uh, it was um, was it Kerfoot, Kerfoot, Engvall, Mikheyev? No, Camp Engvall, Mikheyev. The chem line chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing it. It just seems like Camp and Engvall, and just kind of put someone in. They just they're not hard on like they're not hard on the body as far as forechecking, but they're they're in your face. They're stick checking you. They're making you have to work when you're on the ice. Um, yeah. And with they that, and the way they pressure, yeah, the way they pressure, um, it just it causes you know turnovers in the offensive zone, and they're just able to just um, involve with his reach and that um, Kerfoot just seems to be a little little buzz out there, um, and it's just it's it's nice to see kind of a, a little bit of a checking third line, not so much in the sense of of uh, of physical checking and body, but just they'll get it in and they'll hem you in for a bit. They'll give their guys a bit of bit of rest and then um let the big boys come over the board and and change it up after they kind of hemmed in i think we've seen it even the previous games too they would literally get um hem them in uh their zone and then get a full change uh and then over the boards come the top line and that while still keeping them hemmed in i think we saw that in um i don't think it was the bot uh the philly game but maybe it was actually too but they've definitely been a, a a breath of fresh air as well having that line it'd just be interesting what happens with the fourth line heading into the playoffs obviously with talks of you know robertson coming back if cali does secure a spot up there you know what do we do with that fourth line um does robertson come back slide back into it um does nice come out of the ncaa and slide into maybe a spot in depth to provide some scoring can i just say this is the best problem to have is which random slot on the fourth line come playoff time to complete this yeah Come on, like, could we have anything better to complain about? That's, I just, I love this team this year. Um, just to move the second period along here, because I want to get to the end of the game. Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Justin Falk scoring about a minute and a half apart. Uh, second one on a power play there to tie the game up. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's shot, man, that was beautiful. Now, I this was the second goal of the night for the St. Louis Blues, and I made the point that first we got an ex-Leaf scoring, and then next we get a future leaf scoring. And this was kind of the sentiment around Twitter. So this was brought up. We've talked about it already, but now that we've played against him, everybody has it fresh in their minds on Ryan O'Reilly. What do you think about bringing him on come deadline time? Because his contract is up at the end of the year. Puzzled faces. I know he's a center. He's 31. He's got the shot. Do we need a shot? I don't know. Like we were talking about, we were trying to slot a bunting or a yarn croak in on that line. I don't think Ryan O'Reilly's that guy. 
as as much as I would love, like he's a great player. He's always he he's been a great player the entire time he's been in the NHL, and he is your quote unquote playoff performer, right? He shows up at the hardest time of the year and he plays. It's just as silly as it may sound. I know we all feel that we're we're one piece away. I think we got to be very very careful of who we bring in. Nick Foligno was not that piece. No, right? Like he might have been, but he got hurt, right? So it you got to be really careful if you're going to make. It's got to be right. I, I'm not even thinking that. Like I, I don't want to hold it against him because it was a long time ago. But Ryan O'Reilly completely gave up on the Sabers and basically said that he got to the yeah. point that he was okay with losing. I don't care how bad it is. You don't say that. Yes. That's fair. He put his money where his mouth is. He went to St. Louis and won the cup. So he has gone and, and done it, but to me, and this, it, it could be completely irrelevant at this point. Cause yet again, it was a couple of years ago, but to me, that would be in the back of my mind. If I'm dubious that, Hey, he was in a, a market that has a lot of fans and a lot of pressure and there was losses and he couldn't handle it. That's a good point because St. Louis is a very low key market, right? Like the collection have, of guys there are, are people that have seemingly flourished under less attention. Like last year they had eight guys or nine guys with 20 goals. And it was guys that like the rest of the team did not have on their radar. Like Robert Thomas was not on anyone's radar before last year. Jordan Cairo came out of nowhere, like not nowhere, but I mean, definitely progressed quicker than anyone thought they would. They have a pretty rabid fan base and hockey there has been crazy for the last 15, 20 years. They like they've a lot of alumni that have played there end up retiring there for some reason. I don't know why. Um, So there's a big, big presence in the hockey community there, but it's as far still a as small media, market. Yeah, for hockey. As far as media is concerned, hockey isn't the number one priority, right? You're going to talk about the Cardinals. You're going to talk about, uh, wait, it used to be the Rams. What's the NFL team there? Do they have one anymore? St. Louis Rams went to L.A. Oh, so they don't even have an NFL team anymore. Okay. Nope. Um, well, maybe, even, the, maybe the Blues are pretty high up on their radar now. Even still, you're going to have the the media outlets covering the Cardinals for two hours and the blues for 20 minutes, right? Like, yeah. And you're on the border with Illinois. So, I mean, Chicago eats up a lot of that too. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like at the end of this, we could just see St. Louis blues pull a 2017, 2018 and just come out of the toilet in 2023 and push for the playoffs and say, actually, we're going to keep Tarasenko and Riley until the end of the year. Like there's still that possibility. They did it once. One one kind of question I have is so bring in Riley is the thought process okay we play him as second line center shift Tavares to wing I would like to think if obviously we have time we could use it if Cali fits in on the second line I would love to see a third line actually get developed where we can score some goals where it comes down to you know the top two lines which we've seen year after year is they start to get shut out and we don't have any depth scoring or they can. And, you know, here comes in, Oh, here's Ross Colton on the third line scoring goals. Here's so-and-so on the third line or fourth line scoring goals. And it's like, 
there's Engvall shooting the puck in the chest again. Like, yeah. it, it's just, we, it, and that's what we expect out of the third line. And that third line's great, but hey, let's move him down to the fourth and let's maybe, with some potential talent, bring in Ryan O'Reilly to lead the third line. Um, I'll go back to Nyes or, you know, Robertson on his wing um, and then maybe somebody else on the other, on the right side. But it's just, I don't, because I, I think back to Pittsburgh with the Penguins and they had the HBK line. Um, it wasn't, it was a third line for them and it was their best line uh, because, you know, you're focused on, you're focused on Crosby on one side and you're focused on Melkin on the other. And then over the board comes, you know, Kessel with, um, can you remember who made up the rest of that HBK uh, line just off the top of my head, but that's Hag- where Haglin, Benino and Kessel. That's it, right? So you had those that third line come over, and they were Kessel won the Conn Smythe that year because he had, I think, like twenty six points over the playoffs. It's just well, I mean, we got we, lit up by never, Nick Hall, so I mean, like <laughs> exactly, and that's it, playing third line, right? Yeah. Like where where is somebody who can do it for us? And and at the end of the day, if Camp Engvall and Kerfoot is your third line, they're great checking, they're great, they're going to do all these things. They're going to play great defensive hockey. But they're you can't count on them to score you a goal, um, or 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 play like mind well, you. Know, here's, maybe, here's Ker- yeah, yeah. So it's just like I would love to see a, some sort of third line develop. I think, and I think Ryan O'Reilly could be a central piece for that. You know, Robertson comes back and plays the wing, and then like I said, somebody else slides in, and then hey, look, we have a a third threat. The only thing with that that I would be concerned about is. Everywhere he's gone, Ryan O'Reilly's pretty much been the best center on the team. How will he react with such shortened ice time? Because there's only so much ice time to go around, right? And we know Matt, yes, you can cut back a little bit for Matthews and Tavares, maybe, you know, help save them be a little fresher for playoffs. But how would he be able to react to getting his ice time potentially cut in half? I, I know there's been times in the past where O'Reilly has played, I believe it's right wing. But even still, your top two right wingers, you have Nylander and Marner. Like, you don't really need him to go up there, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think there's there's better fits, especially with what St. Louis would ask for a player like Riley. Like, he's their captain. Feel- he won the cup with them, right? Right. And I feel like yeah. there's a hundred ways we can try to fit him in and make something work. They were making something work when, to bring it back to Justin's thing, we should be finding the right piece that fits in in their own style instead of trying to change the entire lineup to to fit somebody in that might be the piece. Like, I think we know what the it's it's that that blank spot on second left wing that's that's still a question mark, and it might even come from within. Like, we talked yarn croak and these guys, but I think it's it's find somebody that's already used to playing that so you're not having this adjustment especially if you only have from trade deadline to the playoffs to figure it out so and that that's where i think like i think the trade is and i obviously a bunch of people pop up i think there needs to be a future with the leaf to get value out of it um i like what the brandon Hangel trade last year i was just trying to think of what they paid for nick paul to kind of build out some of that third line because that's when tampa was was key was they had barkley goodrow um you know, Blake Coleman, they, that was their third line and, and it had an identity and it, and it could burn you on nights and it could score. Matthew again, Joseph and a fourth that. rounder. 
right? So, okay, so who do we, ha- you know, that's where I'd love to see, like, let's put that investment in someone who's an RFA, someone who, you know, their time might be done somewhere. I threw it um, kind of into the atmosphere, you know, is Anaheim's window going to line up with Troy Terry? Uh, RFA after this year only makes 1.4 this year. What's that look like? Um, uh, you know, it, certain things like that, like, sure, do you spend the first and, uh, and maybe a, a prospect that you weren't, you're not going to see for a while, um, potentially. That's where I think maybe this team needs to more go down for than, than just some of these, these uh, big name people. I think also too, if you if everybody in Twitter is thinking of big name people, Dubis and them aren't thinking of them. But they were, you know. You, I mean, the reason we're talking about <laughs> O'Reilly though is because it came out that internally they were talking about him. So I think that's why everybody's kind of trying to wrap their head around what is it internally that they were thinking he would fit into. But I agree mm-hmm. that, like, I as much as I, I'm not advocating for Dubas to not make a big splash at the deadline, but I think that he's smart enough that like, he knows what players he can go out and spend less on that aren't going to be a bidding war, because that's going to be the problem with, like, all the names at the top of the list, like, Tarasenko and O'Reilly are going to get a massive haul just because of the teams that are going to be in the bidding for it. Like, you're probably going to see Boston and the Rangers and... Um, you know, Carolina's probably going to try to jump in there because they're down Pacioretty and Kasha. So, like, there's there's a lot of teams that are going to be looking for that. And, uh, Gio was two was two seconds and then signed two years for eight hundred. Yeah, you know, something like that where he knows that there's some sort of connection or a tie uh, where he can probably leverage that angle. Yeah, um, and those are and those are the players that seem to be valuable, like Brandon Hagel for uh, I think it was two firsts and something. For you get you get them at two years after that one at like under two million for a player who's now playing in their top six. Two. Like that's that's an absolute. It was um, Boris Kachuk, Taylor Radish, and a first round in twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four. Yeah, dude, that's a, an insanely high price for. Brandon Hagel. I don't know. Like, I don't want to see Dubas he, throw away two firsts and two prospects for somebody. Like, that's crazy. Well, it's a and and it's it's a lot, but I think that's the type of player, something who's either RFA controlled or has um, a willingness probably to sign. And you, you could probably ask the team uh, ahead of time. Like, it you know, someone like uh, Vancouver just went out and got Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko is a um, Dan Milstein client. Uh, Dubas has a long history with Dan Milstein clients. Mikheyev was one. Uh, Kirill Semyonov, who was over here, was one as well. So maybe it's their potential of, hey, Vancouver may not do anything with him. Kirill or Kuzmenko uh, could be like, hey, this is not my scene, and there's your top left winger. Makes 950 this year, and you sign him next year for something. Okay, and I'm it, pulling up it's... RFA left wingers. Jesper Brat, <laughs> Alex Lafreniere, Cheadle. Well, and it, Chris, it's funny that you bring that up too, because Dubis has a history of even if he signs a player and it's not working out, he doesn't let them toil away in the minors. He finds a yeah. home for them, and and so makes that, it right, right? Yeah. Like so, even if it's not going to work, he keeps the player happy, which in turn keeps the agent happy, which is is really smart in the long run. Because, like you said, if you have a good working relationship with that agent, that agent has a player that everyone thinks can maybe get a look. You know, you can get a little bit more out of. Maybe they're going to talk him into take a little bit of a haircut now, go play for the Leafs, kill it, and you'll be paid next summer. 
literally look at like Mikeo's contract with Vancouver. Yep. Come here, sign for like a you know even you probably get a raise like two six three like you've got Kerfoot space, you know to give him a bit of a raise, showcase your true talents here for a year or two, and then go hit the market. But you know try to help us succeed and win. I hate bringing it up again because we talked about him a handful of episodes ago, but Max Domi. Honestly, I think that might be the answer. I think it might be the cheapest one to get to. Um, I do want to, just because we're pushing 50 minutes here, I want to finish up the game and then we can get back to it. Um, Jordan Cairo ties it up here in the third period. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to... Hall had a very up and down game. He had some good points. This one was a little goalie screen I wasn't a fan of. But I mean, I think I'm not going to rip on him. He had, a, he had a pretty good game. There was the, the boarding call in the first was a little bit. It, it was actually Jordy Ben that screened him. Oh, was it? I thought it was Hall. Yep. Oh, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> No, hey, and then I'll I, take I it. think Keith Sorry, lost Hall. it on that because it was a, uh, it was a, it was a pick as well. Prior to that, that's the interference he was calling for. I think they were talking about it potentially being goalie, but yeah, it was a, a little pick play. The same pick play all got called for on a game tying goal in game seven. Yeah, so I want to touch on Wes McCauley quick here because um, wake the fuck up, Wes was what we saw out by uh, Sheldon Keith. So. We had a Zach Aston Reese high stick to the face, bleeding, um, that should have been a double minor. And there was an interference call he missed, another high stick. Like, what the hell, Wes? <laughs> he's, I get he's the showboaty, oh, fighting, man. But, like, bro, call the game. <laughs> if you want to showboat, you're going to need goals to actually, or you're going to need penalties to actually call, so call the penalties. Right? Thing was being showboaty when I would call it. Jeez. It's it's a little upsetting that uh, the NHL lifts up uh, the refs. I won this particular uh, more than some of its star players. It feels like <laughs> that we hear this guy's name more than we hear you know some other upcoming stars or or any such. Uh, yeah, I know little... too many linesmen and refs names. I feel <laughs> like whatever happened to Dan Kelly after he shoved bunting. We didn't hear anything come out of that. It's been a week now. I think it was uh, I think it was Christmas break and they just kind of left it. <laughs> We're like, uh, I'm sure we'll find some other news cycle to talk about. Oh, look, hey, Wes McCauley's being an idiot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And everyone's forgotten about right. it already. Um, yep. So we go into overtime and who had Brody Kampf and Lilligren starting? <laughs> well, it's pretty much the same thing that Keith did the last time we had an overtime that we actually won right except we had sandman out there and sandman drew the penalty right away mm-hmm. and it's an, it's not a bad idea because you have that defensive mindset out there that hey if they're going to lose the the face off they're going to get it back either right away or they're going to play so defensively that there's not going to be too much of a chance and then you can start cycling your forwards out not that matthews and marner and them can't play defense but I think as as a forward, your mind would just be geared a little differently in OT that you might be kind of cheating a little bit to try More to go prone for that to mistakes. goal. Yeah. And look, I think we've also seen it. Too, if... they, they blew six games in overtime, so and five of them have been within like 45 seconds. Like really, it's been bad losses in overtime. So anything needed to change. I like that, like I was saying, Camp can control it, and he stayed out there for way too long. And managed to hold on to it so the rest of the team could switch out. Matthews managed to get out there, and then it kind of went from there. But 
I don't know. I get it. It just feels like they're protecting and making excuses for star players that should be able to start in overtime. Like, why is it that everybody else can put their first line and second line out there for overtime, but we're like trying to come up with some galaxy brain move that they don't screw it up? Like, I just, I can't believe we're in this position. It's one of those things, yeah, you definitely, you definitely think, hey, we have, we have uh, two lines of $20 million in values of players jumping over the boards. They should be able to get it done. Uh, there definitely seems to be the lapse of, of judgment. The only thing is, is I think when we start this defensive line, you get their first line out, they get tired, um, which then allows us to get our top line against their second line. And then by the time their first line comes back, they're only probably off for about 30 seconds. They're going to get tired again. So I think it's just, it, it gives us a little kind of chess move, one-up advantage um, going against the other team as well. Uh, if we if we can get them caught, we can get them tired. Sure, have the puck skate around. David Kampf will skate out there for five minutes and gas you because uh, the dude's an absolute freak. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know what, he's they're 2-0 and with the strategy now. Um, right now, if it's not broken, I, I would say just kind of keep with it. Um, Honestly, but... it's, just, it's just weird. Like, is this not weird? Everyone's like, oh, well, it's the same thing you're doing against Calgary. Okay, that was weird too. And like, <laughs> <laughs> that's my yes. point, is this is all strange. But but at the same time, go back to what everybody told all Lee fans all summer. The regular season doesn't matter, right? <laughs> what happens in the playoffs for OT? Five on five. How are the Leafs' top two lines during five-on-five five play? They're outrageous. Fine. I'm just saying, losing three-on-three three pond hockey to pick any three guys in the league, they should win this. Like it's just, it's at its core concept, it's insane that they can't do this by putting their star guys out there and just scoring a goal in ten seconds, like people were doing to them six times in a row. Like that's what confuses me: is how can other teams put their stars out there and they just go whoop and we scored? The only okay. thing I, I think, honestly, I think God, the only on... thing I can think, sorry, Chris, is yep. that they've been they've been enforcing such a strong structure with these top end guys that play offensively a lot that when they don't have all five players out there, that it's it's a little harder for them to play this structure. Oh, so, and you saw that they they were looking for passes and there was like, oh shit, there's nobody there, and that's when they yeah. they lost it a couple times. They tried to send it back to Hall, and he's like, oh fuck, I gotta go over there now. So I would rather them continue playing that structure and be shit at three on three for the four or five more times we might see it this year than worry about breaking out of that structure. And because, hey, if you break out of that structure and you win and you rail off four or five wins in a row and you've broke out of that structure, then Keith's going to lose the room or not the room. He's going to lose that that mindset and he's going to have to work that much harder to get it back. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, too, they they definitely. I feel like every time they lose, it's it's because of a turnover. They're going back the other yeah. way. So if they're coming down, realistically, if if the other team is playing back a little more, uh, where they're trying to draw you in, and it's a essentially a two on th- two on three in a sense, and we get a shot off, it's very easily going back a two on one the other way. And that's where we've seen a, a team has just ended it um, that quickly. It's just we've been able to produce the offense, but if you don't don't score on the one chance it's going back the other way and that's that's really how three on three is and they're and they're trying to in their mindset hey let's just almost let's play like a, an italian soccer way let's just let's d- draw back and let's try to get them on the counter 
And that's where William Nylander did exactly that. Well, we actually just talked about that at Christmas dinner last night, how Italy just forced it to penalty kick. Hey, we got a better chance there. <laughs> yep. Uh, so the the thing that I'm, I don't want to say that like the season, oh, if the Leafs are, you know, six points, find somebody. Like, I'm not going to pretend that like they were going to win every single game in OT. But if it's a one or two point difference between where they're placed and play Tampa or not, that's a little frustrating. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, it, it's these little points that they should have gotten. They, they lost some some bad games in OT, but like I'm not going to dwell on that. Uh, TJ Brody gets absolutely demolished in the weirdest way by Jordan Cairo into Bennington, just kind of down to the net. And Wes McCauley finally makes a decent call for the Leafs and gives TJ Brody, of all people, a penalty shot in overtime. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> um, I wasn't expecting him to score. It was still like eh, the chances there, at least. If I was Brody, I would have been, no, nope, my knees hurt. I can't skate. I can't, I can't do it. Let Massey take you, it. I mean, could he have said like, oh, I got hurt on that play. Like someone else has to do it. If he's hurt, then yeah, he doesn't have to take it. Honestly, he probably should have. Oh man. Or just take a flap shot. <laughs> I think for the memes too, it would have just been funny if he scored. Oh, right. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> But honestly, that that like I mentioned earlier, that play from Willie to take it away from Tarasenko and uh, give himself that little backhander, oh, beautiful goal. So William Nylander, now the most underrated, uh, underpaid contract in the league. Value wise, what does the Athletic have him at? Like ten and a half, probably. Like it's honestly the fact that he's been scoring so much, it just goes to this like what we said about Matthews, like he just wants to win. This is that attitude. It's, I don't care who does it. We're going to put everybody in the best position to perform at their best. And look, here we are, December 28th, and uh, only behind Boston, I think. Crazy. It's it's almost like in a sense, too, of like, hey, if maybe we let all of our star players hit the mature age of like 25, we'll start to see some things and not put all of our uh, – pressure on them when they're 22 and be like oh they can't win you know sorry they're not Jonathan Taves walking into the defensive core that is the Chicago Blackhawks um yeah oh and I did just check um we have overtaken the Devils but I totally missed this when did the Hurricanes pass the Devils in the Metro holy shit (laughs) when they went on a nine game win streak yeah I just they're on a nine game winning streak holy I missed that so they're 23 Six and six with fifty-two points. Leafs are twenty-two, seven and six. So they are like neck and neck with them. Bruins are still twenty-seven, four and three, which is fucking crazy. I don't understand. They uh, they lost to Ottawa lost though. To Ottawa in OT. <laughs> and uh, Colorado lost to Arizona. Looking at you, Connor. Six to three, Arizona Coyotes over the uh, Avalanche. Oof. So. Uh, Connor Green of Inside the Rink. I think you're going to be jumping into a snowbank, buddy. Oh, I love it. So let's, we got like, I don't know, five minutes here at the end of the show. Um, Oh, actually, we should pull up questions first. And then I want to do this World Juniors debacle. Um, Thoughts on officiating from Marie at 34 and 16 and 88. That's a great handle. Uh, thoughts on officiating tonight, guys? I mean, we we touched on it, but it was lacking to say the least. Like, pretty 
interesting things on both sides. I felt like I'm not going to sit here and say that the Leafs made a bunch of infractions that should have been called, but they kind of there was a couple things that were missed for sure. I, I don't know if you can really say lacking is the correct word um, from what we've seen the past couple years in the NHL. You can call this consistent. Game in and game out, this is what we've come to expect. A- as sad as it is to say, we're more pleasantly surprised and we're more shocked when they either officiate the game well or you know all, all hell breaks loose and they don't call anything at all like pretty much every single game pretty much every single game you either <laughs> oh i know um you either have two three calls against one team that are just horrendous or two three non calls against a team that are horrendous and it's 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 consistent, sad to say, but it's consistent. Yeah. One of the, the frustrating things too with it is you just see, um, you know, you see around the league and, and I think you felt it more against the Philly game where you get these ticky tacky, you know, makeup calls because we want to make sure it's, you know, equal five on five and this and that. And in some games like this, you feel like things are just blatantly missed and it's just, it lacks consistency and certain rules like the pick. It's just, it's just such an unfinished product. The NHL, um, as much as we all love it, it's just it's one of the more unfortunate things um, that the officiating is this way. Um, I think you could also chalk it up to, you know, we don't want to make excuses or anything. The officials also did have a Christmas break, so I'm sure they, uh, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> a, a few wobbly pops still in the eyes over the over the holiday season and as such as well. But. That's honestly a fair point. They're getting back into the swing of it too. So it's fair. So next question from uh, Mike, the fanatic. How's it going, Mike? Uh, how can people actually like Wes McCauley? The guy's an arrogant idiot who thinks that fans pay to see him put on a show. I'm sick of his tactics and him trying to screw the least over every chance he gets. <laughs> I get the sentiment about like thinking that people paid to see him. Like just, it's like my dad always does with the linesman in the face-off when they do the little fake-outs. Drop the puck. You are not a player. Stop trying to be a part of the game. Drop the puck and get out of the way. That's my only thing. Yeah, I I, I think um, it's interesting that the, yet again, the only sport that you, uh, you either, every other sport that you know an official, you know them be essentially because they're bad. Uh, you know, Angel Hernandez. I was going to say Angel Hernandez. Uh, yeah, Angel Hernandez from the MLB. You know, you don't know him because he's a great guy or he brings action. No, you know him because he's horrible at his job. Um, uh, it's interesting that literally the only person or one of the only refs you know is because he did uh, two minutes for fighting. Uh, you know, and that was... God, that's so, even that's got to be four or five years old at this point. I know. I feel um, like he did that all the time, and I'm like, wait, no, that was like one time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like <laughs> um, once once Vegas got a team, you know, he's trying to get a, his own Broadway show, I guess. Uh, but it's just it's one of those things. I, I, why why is this guy in the spotlight? Why is he ever talked about? Um, yeah. Okay, I gotta wrap in another Wes McCauley thing here. So VI Blues, VI Blue and White asks, what was Keith yelling at Wes after the missed call? Only. So for those of you on video, we've got this awesome freak out tonight from uh, from Keith after he looks at the iPad. So wrong answers only. What is Keith looking at on his iPad that makes him freak out here? 
I'm going to say he was just checking. Um, since it's the 28th, he, somebody sent him the list of things that are coming off Netflix in 2023. And he saw something that he wasn't done binging. So what's on what's on Netflix that would be coming off? <laughs> that's that's my thing. The Office coming off in 23. Yeah, he wasn't finished. The Office. <laughs> I think he. Uh, I think he saw that some some tweets didn't send, uh, <laughs> and he and he thought they were. <laughs> he thought they sent, and he was a little livid that uh, he wasn't getting his tweets out in time. <laughs> that's amazing. Actually, I I don't know if anyone else has had that problem. I asked for questions at the end of the game. And I was like, I haven't got any questions yet. I looked, oh, the tweet failed to send, and it didn't even tell me. Sweet. Same with the other three before that. No, he just read an email from Air Canada that they lost his luggage again. Ooh. <sighs> That's, if anyone missed that, um, noted shell agent Alan Walsh <laughs> tweeted out, at Air Canada that his uh, sixth overall pick in the NHL, David Jiracek, has uh, all of his stuff lost by Air Canada on his way up to the World Juniors. He got it back for the game. Um, but, you know, I feel like there was a lot of stuff going on the last couple of days in terms of travel in North America that uh, maybe this was a little over the top. And he went back and deleted it after and said, you know, Huge shout out to Air Canada for all their hard work and yada yada. I think he might have like bit his tongue a little on that one after he sent it, much like uh, maybe the the sword tweet. I don't know if anybody saw it, but someone made a picture of David Yurichek with an Air Canada plane coming through him with like the sword through Marc Andre Fleury that also was Alan Walsh. I love it. I must. I must find. <laughs> I'll send it to you because it got kind of buried. But, um, yeah, that's here. Actually, I just pulled it up here. This, so you're a check with the, <laughs> the plane through him. So if anyone missed it, um, after flurry and Leonard, I'm just showing pictures, but I'll post them. Flurry and Leonard had their, their back and forth. Ellen Walsh posted the, uh, famous sword pick with, with Mark Andre flurry. So, um, I believe, Oh, one of my headphones just died. Can you guys still hear me? Yep. Yep. Great. Um, I think we still have Jen. Um, hold on. Oh yeah. So from our boy, run it back. TML fan and van is Willie Canadian. Legally, yes. He, he actually is dual 1, citizenship. Percent. Yep. He was born in Calgary. Yeah. Um, is this? A, is I feel like all of his questions are always like, there's something deeper here. Did I miss, like, did they call him not Canadian on the broadcast or something? I think that was always the, like what Don would say, or like Kiprios, right? Like you need to trade him for, you know, a good Canadian boy who plays the way the game, the Canadian way or some outdated BS like that. Um, that, that would be what I would think he's getting at there, but. Yeah, I did also see the um, one of the famous uh, trade William Nylanders for uh, Nick Ritchie and Brandon Montour. Uh, oh, my that old, uh, favorite Kipper take ever. Yeah. Okay, so um, I know I, uh, we're going a little over here, but uh, Team Canada loses to Czechia in a pretty embarrassing 5-2 game after we saw U.S. almost blow it against Austria. It was 2-2 for a while. They managed to run away with that one, 5-2. 
Uh, but Czechia then be beat Austria today 9 nothing. So, I mean, is this an embarrassing loss for Canada or kind of a, a wake-up call that they might not be the best team in this competition by a long shot? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, That's I fair. Think, I think Canada had the, the classic, you know, of under uh, classic issue of underestimating your opponent. They yeah. were going into they this were thinking... 21 and 2, I think, in history against Czechia going into this. They'd only ever lost once, and it was in 2013. Yeah. Um, so I think there was a little bit of everything involved with this one. Um, but Czechia does have a very strong team, and you just you go down the list, and there's a lot of good prospects on that team. Noted Alan Walsh, Klein, Juracek's going to be a good young defenseman. So no kidding, he's on Columbus. Uh, he should at Juracek. I think he's on I Columbus. He was, yeah. I think um, it's very interesting that somehow the Canada World Juniors was able to reincarnate essentially the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you know, you have a Connor who's a phenom, uh, who's lights out, um, who. Twitter believes at the end of the game, regardless of what he did, his, the grace that he touches the puck should win him player of the game. You have no goaltending, um, similar to the Edmonton Oilers. It's just crazy how they were able to turn back the time on the Edmonton Oilers and submit them for the World Juniors with just this performance. They had uh, Benjamin Red Light Goudreau in that. Red Light. Yeah, honestly, I just, I feel like, the two Michigans in the first, it just that was the biggest, like, guys, you're not going to do that here. You're not going to embarrass everybody and skate through this. Like, I mean, I remember the, the couple, was it two years ago with the, the barrel thing with Team USA where they're like, ah, we just had those barrels that we had to get over between every, it's like, shut up. You had a garbage can with Team Canada's logo on it, and that's all it is. Like, I feel like they tried to come out with that same attitude of, like, we're the best. We're going to walk through this tournament. It's in Canada. We got home ice, baby. It just got cocky and blew it. I hope they can turn it around and, and not, you know, have a uh, World Cup run of this. But it, it seemed a lot like that. Like, I felt very, not that the whole team was lacking, but it felt like it was very much show like if him or i mean shane wright too but it seemed like it was very much a one-trick pony there like everyone was kind of off um a lot of broken sticks and bad penalties so well and i mean they, there was that have... sorry johnny go ahead no I, I mean we didn't talk about there was uh what's his name zach dean got tossed for that hit um which was pretty controversial on twitter people didn't think he should have been tossed for it but really if, if you think that canada lost that game because of a five-minute power play like five other minutes they had to win that game and they didn't so um no. and on the, the hit it was it was high he left his feet it's a junior tournament international that's kind of textbook they got to do what they got to do because really if you have say that happened to Connor bedard and he goes down and all of a sudden starts dropping in the in the prospect pool or you know some guys that are already picked that are on teams get hurt like that like this is not what they go to that tournament for it's not to play their heart out and, and hurt each other to, to try to win. It's showcasing talent. So in the name of yeah. showcasing talent, you have to set a precedent that people can't headhunt in these tournaments. Like the, the point is if he gets tossed for that hit, that sets the precedent that, Oh, I can't do anything even questionable or I'm going to get tossed. So it in turn moving forward protects every other player 
something similar. Well, and you've got so many other players on the team too that they should have been able to to get some form of offense. You've got Adam Fentilli. He's going to be another potentially top five pick this year. Um, you got Bedard, you got Wright, Reed Schaefer. I know you were kind of hoping that the Leafs may maybe be able to squeak him into their lineup in the draft last year, Johnny. Yeah. Um, we've got Dylan Gunther, Logan Stankovin, like Brennan. Offer, there's, there's, there's players that can put the puck in the back of the net. They just, I, I honestly think they just, Oh my God. Reed Schaefer's a ginger. Let's team. go. <laughs> they should have grabbed him. That's awesome. Anyway, um, so moving forward, I, I just I'm gonna try to catch the rest of it, but I'm kind of back in the Leafs mode. I don't know about you guys. Uh, Boxing Day is kind of the only time that I uh, I tend to catch World Juniors. I'll make an attempt, but I've got uh, an event with my friends tomorrow, and then traveling back to Ottawa on Thursday. So um, with that, I guess we'll we'll end it here. Chris, you want to plug your stuff before you come back again? Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore Hurley ten. Um, come and check me out there, and my uh, take good takes if you like them, bad takes if you don't. <laughs> Sometimes spicy. You never know. I appreciate you hopping on with us tonight. Uh, much appreciated. Not a problem, Justin. Always a pleasure, my friend. Glad so, to be here. Just uh, for anybody that doesn't know, Canada also lost their opening game at the Spangler Cup. That, that tournament too. So they fell 2-1 to, to Davos, right? HC Davos, yes. Ooh. And, uh, what was uh, oh, the only thing I have to announce for our next episode, because uh, Thursday we're playing at ASU, baby, which means we're going to be featuring the uh, one of the hosts from the Later Arrivals podcast from Inside the Rank. They're the Anaheim Ducks podcast, but one of them lives in Phoenix. is going to come on and make a case for why the Phoenix slash should still have a team so gonna come on and make the case for all of canadians as to why desert needs hockey because i feel like that's something uh canadians need to be uh told because i for one am of the that there's no reason other than the fact that it's the only reason austin matthews is playing hockey but it's been such a, a nightmare of a franchise like from day one yeah, and I just want to get this plug in here because as we're recording this, it's just after midnight here. Um, on this day in Maple Leafs history, back in 1929, the legendary Terry Sawchuk was born. Oh, happy birthday. So he uh, He's one of my all-time favorite goaltenders, even though he passed away long before I was born. And anytime I get to say his name on here, I'm going to. So, happy birthday, Sawchuk. Love it. Oh, when I saw it, um, I just got to do a little, because I, it's my family member, but um, there was a, a hockey card was asking who the most um, forgotten to time Buffalo Sabre is, and uh, a lot of people were coming out saying Craig Ramsey, and I, that just, I was at my grandparents' place, and he's a family member of ours, and they just loved hearing, you know, positive things about him. So even Carrie Fraser, who's actually a friend posted a big thing about um, about how much of a great player he was. And so a lot of Boston fans, or uh, sorry, uh, Buffalo fans coming up saying Rammer was uh, one of the greats. So shout out. Thousand, over a thousand games and over 600 points. So definitely. Yeah, he um, had the Iron Man streak for a while too. Yep. Yep. All right. We'll see you on Thursday with an Arizona game. Good night, everybody. Thank you for tuning in.
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Leafs Late Night, your night of post-game podcast. Available after every game on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and more. Check out Marty Zilstra on Spotify.